Welcome to Delivered as Promise, a podcast focused on land development industry and leadership. Graham and I are joined today by Mark Stein, CEO and Managing Director of Stockland. Mark, welcome. Thanks. Morning, Mark. Glad to be here. Glad you could join us today. And we've got a great venue today, Mike, sitting in sunny uh, Willowdale, having a bit of a look around from the sales centre, hey? It's uh, beautiful weather to be looking at and reflecting on compared to the last few weeks in Sydney. Mark, you were just telling us a little story about your, you had to go fetch your boat. Yeah, stored at Pitt Town, so mm. I was in constant dialogue with the owners up there and the river got within about three or 400 metres, so fortunately... It didn't, uh, it didn't hit, but better to be safe than sorry, so I got it out of there. But um, obviously for all those impacted by the, the floods, our, our hearts go out to them. I, it would have been devastating for a lot of people. And you know, having lived on the river before, I know how quickly it can rise up and take you by surprise. So um, anyway, fortunately we've got sunshine and blue skies now, which is, uh, which is great. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's um, recovery time for a while and then lots of hard work for those people to get back a better situation for all of them. But we keep hearing plenty of stories of grit and uh, resolution from them, so I'm, I'm sure they'll give it their best. Plenty of resilience. Yeah. Which is what great. are we going to cover today, Mike? So we're going to have a chat with Mark mm-hmm. about his career, the industry generally, what's been some high points, low points, what advice he can give to those in the industry, yeah, just reflections. Where'd you start off, Mark? Where, where were you at high school? I went to... Herbray Agricultural College in uh, Adelaide. Mm-hmm. So I used to holiday on my um, uncle's farm a lot, so I figured I'd be a farmer. Yep. Um, and when I worked out how much it cost to buy a farm, <laughs> so I changed my, my career track. But uh, I was glad because uh, Herbray was a great school and uh, at year, after year 10 you could then go pure agricultural track for Roseworthy or something like that or yeah. um, go traditional um, HSC, mm-hmm. and uh, so I ended up going traditional. But uh, yeah, really enjoyed my time there, and I still have an affinity for the land. I think that's part of what uh, why real estate appeals to me so much. I just, I mean, I love being out on site. Um, I think you guys are going to give me a different perspective today mm-hmm. on some type so. of heavy yes. machinery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just being and seeing our communities, seeing you know the earth being formed to mm. create um, a wonderful community, mm. a place where people can experience a better way to live, there's nothing better than that. I mean, that that's why I'm getting ahead, I guess, but that was part of why I came to Stockland as well. Oh, wow. So what did you do after high school? You did a bit of studies? Yeah, I went to University of uh, Technology, SA, and I got a scholarship during my um, uni days. So I was working with um, CBRE. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, before that, I had my own landscaping business, a little one. Then one uh, won a scholarship to go to CBRE, then won a scholarship and went to Jones Lang when I uh, once I graduated, and I was made the head of research in Adelaide. <laughs> what does that involve? <laughs> well, I got my own office, so I thought wow. that was pretty cool. And uh, I looked after the library, and I did all the all the research. So I collected all the stats on uh, office demand and supply, shopping centre values, cap rate series, rent series, all that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Also, did some advisory, a um, little bit in leasing and land acquisition and then um, after I uh, I did that for about two and a half, three years, then I got asked to come to Sydney to um, join the research and advisory team for uh, JLL um, under Dr. Seek. So Mm -hmm. I came up and uh, and did that for about five or six years and then I went to 
SBC, what was SBC to Minx Barry, which then became UBS, which is um, United Bank of Switzerland, although it was an acronym, so it didn't actually stand for that anymore, a bit like BMW, but mm-hmm. uh, joined joined that and became a real estate analyst. So when you when you came from Adelaide, were you bringing family with you then or did you, you start your family later here in Sydney? No, I, was, uh, I jumped in my car, packed it up, said goodbye to my Mum and my sisters uh, stopped by the ski fields on the way up, so went to Threadbow, went skiing for the first time, and then came to Sydney. You know, rented the place and started uh, started living in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Never looked back. Uh, no, no mm-hmm. it was, uh, <laughs> was was pretty bizarre when you think about it, I guess. But yeah, I didn't I didn't really think about. it. I was excited about the opportunity. I'd always dreamed about um, working in Sydney, growing mm. up in Adelaide. You know, you, that's something that a lot of people do when you come from the smaller towns, I guess. Mark, you're, you're known to be a pretty determined person, which is a good thing. Did you have that same sort of determination and, and drive when you were that age? How did that come upon you during your career? How did that grow with you? Yeah. No, look, I've always been a hard worker, Graham. I, um, and that's just part of me, I guess. I, I'm, I'm ex- excited by the idea of making things better than, than I find them. And I like, you know, contributing and sharing and um, I – do things to the best of my abilities that's very important to me so my father actually died when I was 10 so that was pretty tough but um, I remember him well and he he taught me those values as as did my mum mm. and uh, you know there for a long time I was the kind of like I guess the head of the household so I had to help mum look after the house at the house and work with my sisters and stuff so yeah we were working pretty hard <laughs> for a I'm pretty sure early age to yeah, be honest very much so that's a, a bit of a tough start with things. How'd the path get you towards Stockland? Yeah, well, after I, I joined UBS in Sydney, I was uh, at that point I, I joined as a real estate analyst, so I was analysing um, a lot of the REITs, although there weren't that many at that point. So I started in about '92, so that was after the recession, and leading into that. Pre the recession, there was a lot of property trusts, unlisted property trusts that were set up holding commercial property and they had liquidity windows and the government ultimately had to freeze those windows. Um, So there was a a large amount of real estate held in these unlisted property trusts. And so when I joined UBS, progressively all these unlisted trusts got listed. Uh, That's how they, they ultimately got liquidity to pay back the original investors and then new investors were bought on. So I, I was very lucky. I just progressively picked up. I mean, I started covering Stockland back then and then I was covering groups like Westfield and GPT, um, the Armstrong Jones funds, the AMP funds, whole range of different funds, part of a team. So we raised over that time, bought to market about $20 billion, um, of different REITs over, over a number of years. And as that period went on, I became the head of um, real estate research in Australia and then I became the global head of real estate research. And then um, I was made the head of equities in Australia and New Zealand for UBS, which I um, had had that role for a bit under three years. And then they asked me to move to New York to head research globally for UBS across equities and fixed income uh, across all industry groups. So I, I was doing that and was in New York for just under nine years and uh, our eldest was getting close to starting high school and my wife and I were talking about, you know, what should we do next? And 
one of the investors that I'd worked with for a number of years um, shot me a note and said, oh, look, this role at Stockland's come up. I reckon you'd be good for it. So <laughs> I looked in there. I never thought about being the CEO of uh, Stockland or a REIT before, but mm -hmm. I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. So mm -hmm. I, um, I wrote a letter with my strategy to the chairman uh, and I'd known the chairman um, from when I was head of equities in, in Australia and so he was uh, actually in New York during that time and we caught up for a coffee and had a chat and the rest is history. Came back to Sydney and straight into the role uh, as CEO of Stockland, which uh, was a role I was very fortunate to uh, to be given the opportunity to. Yeah, absolutely. Down. Wow. Yeah, it makes me turning up to Seven Hills in 1974 and still being there a little bit on the boring side compared to that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. But yeah, there's that's, a lot to be said. Yeah. Uh, great. No, that's a really exciting <laughs> ride. Uh, thanks for, for, for sharing that with us. How would you give your overview of a few things, um, some features of your journey with Stockland? I was attracted to the company uh, in the first instance through the purpose of a better way to live. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought, couldn't be anything cooler than being able to lead a you know, large, successful real estate company, loving real estate, and uh, a company that's not only orientated towards obviously seeking to provide returns to security holders and shareholders through profit growth, but one that is you know really deeply committed to creating this better way to live through uh, its projects and its properties and the way it conducts itself, um, which in a company is really just the collection of people. So. Mm. I thought that was a really exciting um, opportunity. So coming in and finding that the culture um, was orientated around that purpose for real um, and that, you know, learning more deeply about the way our communities are put together and how they operate and our other assets are operated, you know, there was clarity that we were driven and able to deliver on that purpose. And there's very few true purpose-driven companies. Mm. Um, so... That was fabulous. And I think about some of the highlights around how we how we deliver that. And if, sitting here at Willowdale is a great example. You think about the town centre next door, you think about the schools, the award-winning playgrounds, the commitment to plant a million trees and, and other mm -hmm. plant species, the creation of a indigenous seed bank, and this is part of the riparian corridor, the preservation of the canal that feeds the Prospect Dam. It was originally built by convicts. Um, the history of the place, the the place making and keeping, like in working with the indigenous people to establish an outdoor museum of artifacts, and the, just the quality of of life that people have here. Um, I think you know anyone could see that this is a better way to live here at Willowdale. That's one example. I could tell that same story on any any of our communities across the country where the largest residential developer in Australia by a factor of three times um, and nearest with a 13% market share. So we are doing that at scale um, in a way that, that that is driving that purpose. Makes a big impact on the Australian way of life. We, we believe so. And, you know, then we have a big focus on sustainability. We're a global leader in, in sustainability as well as a local leader um, here you'd see those lovely purple pipes where you, you're reticulating brown and grey water. Mm. You'll see, you know, plant cognizant species have been planted. So, you know, you, you keep the irrigation requirements down. Um, think about the, I guess, the reflective nature of the rooftops, the, mm. solar in, the encouragement around solar installations. And, and we've got, you know, since I've been at Stockland, we've installed about 16 megawatts of mm. solar 
um, mainly on top of our town centers and mm. logistics assets. We've got another um, another 16 megawatts in planning. We've just come out with a new sustainability strategy for um, with a commitment to be carbon neutral by 2028. And we've just released a 2030 sustainability strategy, which incorporates not just those sustainable elements, but an absolute commitment to diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And my leadership team is balanced. It's 50-50. Yep. Um, across Stockland, we're, we're, actually, we're balanced across mm -hmm. the whole company and across management. What impact has that had for your business? Well, I think changes. it helps make better decisions. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think the fact that we um, have a diverse workforce and a diverse leadership team and that team is able to think carefully and uh, about what our customers want and what our communities want and is able to, you know, really think more broadly about not just challenges but also opportunities mm -hmm. means that we make better decisions, we allocate capital better, drive more profit, drive more purpose. It's good business. It is good business. Yeah, I think that the things you reflect on there are very true. What what uh, Stockton has achieved in that time, setting high standards, you know, quite often for the rest of the industry, which is good. Setting models that that people want to try and emulate and grow from. We have a lot of interactions with many of your people. They're focused on these um, deliverables, as you say, and there's so much pride in what they're doing that comes through readily, doesn't it, Mike? Definitely. You know, as you said, that we see a lot of your competitors that want to emulate what Stockton. The Stockland brand is trying to achieve and do, you know, day in day out, um, and Stockland embody that quite well. You know? mm. and, That's good. Yeah, the sustainable initiatives are, are really important. Trying to deliver a community for a family to live in is a very, very powerful message and a very powerful mission. Yeah, and it can't be just oh, we've just produced the block of land, they'll build the home. There's yeah. a lot more to it that all stakeholders have got to be involved with throughout that journey. I think. And yeah, we put covenants on all the lots to you know, in, ensure that the design standards meet minimums mm. and the whole walkability measures and, and all those aspects of social amenity that, that I touched on, mm. you know, they're, they're integral in our DNA and how we operate. But I, I must say I was reminded when I spoke about some of those things I'm proud of, of the story that Graham told me about um, how he, you know, you guys were introducing more diversity into your workforce. Absolutely. And uh, yeah. you're telling about how that, that results in a longer lifetime for the heavy equipment, it, <laughs> amongst yeah. other things. Yeah. Yeah, we've got some people who have more delicate hands and more caring hands than others. might be the wrong way to put it, but, you know, the, I think the more respect there is amongst your workforce for each other, uh, the better outcomes you've got in so many different ways, whether it's be the um, plant and equipment or whether they take a great interest in what they're doing whether they're really interested to hear the sustainability initiatives that we're trying to implement for you guys. I think that the, the better we get our team on the journey altogether, it just makes it more rewarding for all players. And I, I think, Mike, we probably end up you know, producing a, a, a better product by the end of it too. 100%, yeah. definitely. Yeah, no doubts on that. So a personal question for you, Mark. How, for someone who's been very heavily involved in their career, how have you managed to balance home and work life? Yeah. A tough question. That, that's that's a very important question for a lot of people in this industry. It's a long week or long career or whatever, and yep. the family dynamic has changed uh, during generations and stuff. And there's a greater strain on families now. What what's been your personal experience, and how have you managed that? Yeah. Well, look, have I reflected on you know my career? I probably 
uh, and time and my family, you know, I would have done things a bit differently. I think I would have come closer. I, I think to start with, you've got to accept, depending on how senior you go, that, um, you know, it's not likely to be balance. It's mm. likely to be management of time. Mm. And I think that's something that, you know, you, you've got to work through with your family and sort of decide where, that, where the limits of that mm. lie for each individual as well. But in managing uh, that relationship with your family, I think the, the some lessons I've learned, and you know, look, I've still got plenty to learn. The best advice I got from a coach was to set aside um, a night every week, um, date night, and that would go in the diary like any other meeting. My assistant would be well aware of that night, and that was sacrosanct, and make sure that I that that happened, and I'd take responsibility for setting it up. Wouldn't leave that to my wife, and you know, I'd put the back then the blackberry away mm -hmm. would be the iphone and and give her you know 100 percent of my attention and and actually you know just make sure we stay connected mm -hmm. as as two people and try to keep some of that spark that's there yeah. <laughs> at the beginning when you kind of go the other way and you're putting you know you're probably unbalanced the other way but um and then with with the with the kids i think it's trying to do something with each one of them you know on a fairly regular basis and and just finding those opportunities to maybe help with homework or help around the house do do things that um help carry the load and probably holidays are another another thing make sure you know have holidays and when you have them you're actually you're present being present you know when you are with your family i think is probably the most critical element if if you're going to have um a degree of you know valid work-life balance slash management i heard time. the expression it, you have to be present not have presence mm. you know you, you've got to be in the moment enjoying your time with your family you know when you are working in a in a business that demands a lot of your time you need to ensure that you're making that time for your family and having that discussion with your partner about what what's the right balance for you both with your family and how do you um ensure that you're both on the same page throughout it um, you don't get that time back with your kids. Yeah, yeah. hopefully <laughs> with the, maybe the next pod, podcast you guys will do with your partners perhaps. Yeah, their side also, of the story. Yeah. <laughs> I think we might do that privately first. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you um, what's a few other interests other than the thing that we talk about the most, which is our work association things. What else sparks your day? Well, you know, I do love holidays, mm -hmm. family holidays, particularly um, when we go away snow skiing um, Colorado. We haven't done that for – Two years now, it's just been a bit disappointing, but um, we love going to Breckenridge yep. and that's a favourite for the whole family. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, just doing things with the kids uh, and my wife is fabulous. So my daughters play netball, so I love going to watch the netball practices and the and the games. Um, you know, we do a bunch of bike riding and stuff around the, around the neighbourhood. Number of my daughters, I've got four daughters, so a number of them are keen runners and I like running. So we, we do some runs together and stuff like that. Water skiing is another big favourite. Yep. It's the back to the story about the boat yep. um, at Pitt Town. So, yeah, I've been water skiing since I was probably 11. So I love love that. And, uh, yeah, look, I, I give most things a go. I mean, I try to hit a golf ball every now and again, but that's pretty <laughs> ugly, I've got to be honest. <laughs> I think in retirement that that's something that's going to improve. <laughs> So you bring up your retirement from Stockholm. As you exit from the property development industry, what's been something that surprised you the most during your time? Look, on the on the positive side, I think that the, there is this increasing commitment to diversity and inclusion and construction hasn't always had 
an equal workforce by a long stretch of the imagination. And, you know, I think about, you know, I think that you'd hope that, uh, you know, girls growing up would think about a, a career in, in construction because you think about all this cool stuff we do, it's, it's a great, great job, right? It's a, it's a great industry. It's an exciting career. The um, I talked about the sustainability aspects, and there's a big commitment from that as well, which is terrific. I mean, the I think the way uh, that builders and um, civil contractors and developers and architects and designers uh, and increasingly government as well and utilities are working together to create better community outcomes is really exciting. And I think, you know, there's a long way to go with this, of course, and, and Graham and I were talking earlier about some of the planning challenges that are still there, but at least there is a plan, mm. you know, today, the Greater Sydney Commission, I think, did a good job of putting together a long-term plan yep. for Sydney. There is an infrastructure plan. There is a commitment to traditional infrastructure, transport infrastructure, mm. but also the social amenity, the schools, the, you know, the childcare, the museums, entertainment areas, you know, and it's so if you can create that circular, and call it the circular economy, circular living, and you find those points of intersection where there's natural synergies between things. And, and I, you know, I think of something as simple as, you know, Stockland having a town centre next to townhomes, next to a school, next to a park where you might have on, on the weekends, you know, a movie, un, you know, beanbags under the or, or a fair or something like that at a special sure, time sure. of year. Yep. Such a simple way to create uh, fantastic outcomes for people. Mm. Mike, um, probably ask of you too and just make mention. I think the other thing we haven't touched on there is that in as part of your journey with, with Stockland, I think things are normally led from the top. There's been a far greater focus on safety and construction. Mm. We haven't mentioned that, which is a, fantastic that it's been done. And, you know, I think the industry's woken up to that a lot more, the broader industry, and it's reinforced by conversations on all these other things. So it's not seen as safety Nazis coming. I think it's being it's, – it's a work habit that's started more and more, yeah. which is I, great. I think it's pretty well ingrained more and more, yeah, definitely I, with us yeah, and, it's, and across it is, the industry It is. It's still on the edge to be aware of it all the time, Mike, but I think that's been accepted as a, a team responsibility, the way everyone's been looking at it, your people, Mark, and our people, and well, in, in our instance all the way through. Say a couple of years ago, a mm. contractor couldn't, couldn't have an open discussion saying, oh, we can't do something due to a safety concern on you know we yeah, can't meet a program right. we can't do this perform these works we need to think about it differently or stop or something mm. where that's just a lot more accepted as the norm oh, look, now it's, within it's the industry that- as, what, are, what are the impediments now to progress okay you know we, we've set up something here we're going to deliver something together and it's going to be done over you know 18 months what are the the impediments and one of the impediments could be has been approached the right way for the safety of the people involved and that's just on the table just as much as product availability or sequencing or approvals or anything else so i think that's something probably in your time as well mark that's really progressed through the industry and and you know your team's been very much a part of that which has been great as well this um that's that's been one of the strongest transformations over the last decade for me anyway of of how people behave when working mm. together, which is a good thing. Sides on safety, I think, was a great way to, which, you know, you were early adopters of, of that. And, you know, to create a brand around it. And as you mm. say, it's not, you know, yes, it is being safe because it's the right thing to do. And we want to have low LTIFRs and we want to obviously be, look like we're good operators from a corporate point of view. And everyone does deserve to, you know, go home from work at night. Um, and see their families or mm. partners or whatever. I mean, that's 
that's a fundamental requirement. But uh, at the same time, you know, if you don't have accidents, you don't have jobs shutting down for periods. So, you know, it's a lot easier. You know, every time something goes wrong, you know, massive inquiry and review the, you know, hundreds of hours of time spent trying to solve it. So, you know, whatever way you want to cut it up, there's a really strong justification for that. So, yeah. um, you know, we've got to keep going on the safety thing and just make it totally ingrained in the DNA. We always believe that if you're planning a job from to operate safely, the planning involved for the project is greater, therefore there's a better outcome. Yeah. Yeah, that's quality, time, environmental, sustainability, all those sort of things. Safety is the, you know, we can't risk or trying to accelerate time if someone's safety is at risk. Yeah. If you're not planning to act safely, there's a good chance the quality of the work is not going to be right either. Yes. Um, so it, for us, it's been a real big focus on getting the focus on safety correct and people thinking, yeah, it is all right to stop and say, no, I can't do this. Or, yeah, give me five minutes. Let's have a toolbox and talk about things and well, we're just finding a, a far better outcome. Of, hang on. I don't know what I'm supposed to do at the moment. Mm. Can someone show me again? Yeah. And getting that barrier broken down has been a big thing. I think we're yeah, nearly there as an industry, not fully, but uh, reinforcing that more and more to get people to be comfortable, have a bit of a voice on things is, mm. is a good breakthrough with that sort of stuff. Mm. But are you a pretty big proponent of STEM education for girls? Absolutely. Yeah, no. <laughs> STEM Having education, four daughters, yeah, all education. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the key. It, people need to do what they're passionate about and love, mm. but um, I think, STEM or STEAM, mm. as I say, include the arts. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of the growth industries uh, are in the sciences and maths and programming and things like that. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, it's not that girls, women aren't necessarily interested in those things. I think historically there's been all sorts of, you know, misperceptions perhaps mm. about what a role looks like or what the opportunities are within a role because as we know, you know, pretty much any job you can think of can be embodied in, in construction or development. Yes. So I think, you know, the property industry has still got a lot of work to do to ensure that every Australian understands uh, what we do and how we do it and, and that will help. And there for them. Exactly. That will help make it an easy choice for girls coming through school and, young women going through university and whatever, and when they're thinking about what, what areas they might like to work in, I think part of that we need to also think about work experience mm -hmm. and I guess things like this, how do we make them more broadly available so that people actually do understand what it is that the industry does, that, it's, that it is an industry that's committed to diversity and inclusion right across the spectrum and it's full of opportunity and uh, we welcome, you know, complete diverse uh, em employees to come and have a go. <laughs> yeah, most important that we really need to make sure that uh, we can paint with uh, as broad a brush as we can and get everyone's involvement as to getting great outcomes. Mike, is there anything else you want to cover today? No. Other than to say thank you very much, Mark, for, for joining us. Very kind of you to give us your time today. Thanks to Social Storytellers for putting this together. And Mark, we better go and have a look around and see what this Willowdale stuff's really about, hey? I can't wait, right? Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for your time. Okay. Thanks for your time. Cheers. Thanks for listening into our podcast. If you like what you hear, hit subscribe or hit us up on LinkedIn. <laughs>